All right, so there are three grand images that describe what the experience of the Christian life is. The three images are this, a courtroom, a battlefield, and a target. And these three things, this courtroom, battlefield, and target, they must be held in tension with each other. So if you stood in the courtroom of God this morning, in the heavenly throne room, what would God say about you? How would he feel about you? Second, once you got out on that battlefield, where would the strength that you need come from? That's what we're trying to figure out. Where's your strength coming from? Where's this might coming from to press on? And then third, what are you aiming at? What is your target? What is your goal? What is your grand mission in this life? What's your purpose? We're in our series called The Gospel. And the word gospel literally means good news, great news, the best news that you have ever heard. And it's this news that raptures you up out of the life that you are in, deposits you into another world, gives you a new heart, but then puts you right back in the world where you are. But you're new, you're changed, you're different, you've been brought up to the top of the mountain and you have met God there. And what we've been saying is that that's what the gospel does. It brings you up to the mountain. And this gospel is not a diamond, but it is a whole diamond mine. And you need, desperately, we are working like mad for you to understand every single diamond in the diamond mine so all of them could be held in tension with each other. So today... We're actually looking at three diamonds all together to hold them in tension, or we're really looking at a bunch of clusters of diamonds, three clusters of these different diamonds. And here's what happens to you. You find a diamond or a few diamonds, and those become the ones that you cling to, and you leave all the others to the side. You forget about them, you don't pay any attention to them, and here's the reason why you keep doing that. Because you have some wounds in your life. You have these experiences that are yours, and those wounds and experiences have shaped you to long for certain diamonds. So when someone becomes a Christian, it's usually one or two diamonds that attracted them to Christianity. And then they hold on to those few diamonds, and it's actually messing up their Christian life if they don't hold on to all of them. And so today, we're going to look at three diamond clusters and try to hold them all in tension of one another. So here's our verses. And, and, and by the way, so today, we're talking about a few different views of what the atonement is. So, okay, I'm just going to tell you this. So I'm taking a lot of really complex things, and I'm working like crazy this morning to help them make sense for you. So you've got to focus, but I think we're going to be able to do it. So here's our verses. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Then Romans 3.25, Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith, this was to show... God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. All right, so here's what we're going to do. For the next three weeks, we're going to look at three of these diamond clusters. 
And we're going to hold them in tension every week, but then we're going to isolate it and look at one diamond or one cluster. So the diamond that we're, the cluster that we're looking at today is the courtroom. However, we're holding all the others in tension from this courtroom. So you have the courtroom, the battlefield, and the target. And so I'm going to start off talking about all three of them and how we need to hold them in tension. So throughout history, theologians have been debating about what the central part of the atonement is. And let me just make this very clear what we're doing today. I'm not so much focusing on who was right or who was wrong, but what we could learn from all of these different theories or these different theological ideas about what the atonement is. And what we're going to find is that everything starts right there in the courtroom. And then from the courtroom, you move on to the battlefield, but then in the battlefield, you've got to hit the right target. So throughout history, these theologians have been fighting, and it's important that you understand that they're fighting, and I'm going to tell you why in a minute. All right, so I'm going to get a little technical. Are you ready? The theological term for the courtroom is penal substitutionary atonement. This is about, everybody laughs at that word, this is about you going in the courtroom and seeing how Christ was penalized for your sin, okay? Then, from the courtroom, you move on out into the battlefield. Here, in the battlefield, this is known as Christus Victor, or Christ being victorious over your sin and death. And then, once you're out on this battlefield, you've got to aim at something. And so what are you aiming at? You're aiming at a life that is filled with love for God and love for others. And so you see Jesus on the cross as your example of how to love. Now what happens is, here's the big problem. When you hold one of them as like everything and ignore the other two, you actually fall into errors. But if you hold all of them in tension, you get it right. And then here's what happens. It guides the rest of your Christian life. So some of you are like, well, we're going to get into it. Let me, so, so, so that's the picture that needs to be painted. So you go into the courtroom. You're there and you see Christ step forward as your substitute in your place penalize in your place so you can then be set free. And finally, those courtrooms burst open, the courtroom doors burst open and you go out into the battlefield. But on that battlefield, you need strength. Where are you getting the strength from? Christ, the victorious one over sin and death, who helps you transform. But you know what? You have to have something to aim at. You have to have a target. And oftentimes in the Bible, when the Bible is referring to sin, it's referring to you missing the target. And so you have to get all of these right, and you got to give attention with all of them. So in the courtroom, he's the shepherd. Out on the battlefield, he's the victorious warrior king. And then he's the wise teacher. And the Holy Spirit's within you, guiding you to the wise teacher so you might live a life that you've meant to live. All right, now... Why do I keep telling you about the tension? Why do I keep talking about these theologians who are no longer alive, that are screaming at you that their way is right? Well, the reason it's important that you understand that is because all of these theologians had great ideas, and these great ideas had followers, and denominations, and movements were built around these ideas. So likely every single one of you have been more influenced, based off of your experiences or your background, you've been more influenced by one of these ways of thinking. And it's messing you up because you don't have them all in tension. 
So I want to talk about them a little bit more in tension. So if you make the courtroom like the highest one, the most important one, the only one that you're thinking about, here's what happens to you. Your guilt and shame are gone. You're very aware that you have peace with God. You know all the Bible verses that just like alleviate that guilt and shame in your life. And it's good that you've done that. The people who love this one are people who have felt a lot of guilt and shame in their life. And all of us should feel guilt and shame in our life. But then we have Christ come and substitute himself in our place so the guilt and shame are gone. Now here's the problem that, that, these, that this group runs into. They don't often bring the kingdom of God very well. Because they're in their holy huddles. They're in their Bible studies over and over and over again. Just talking about how bad they are, but how good Christ is and how great his grace is. And what happens is they never enter the battlefield and fight for the kingdom of God to come. And their lives don't really look like the right aim of loving God and loving others. They're really good at guarding the word of God, which is a good thing. But in their guarding of the word of God, they don't love others very well. So that, that's what happens if you hold that one at the, the heights. Now, what about if you hold Christ as the victorious one out on the battlefield as the heights? Well, you're out on that battlefield and you've got some strength, you've got some might to you. But the problem is, you've got a whole bunch of guilt and shame in your life. And it's crippling you. And you keep fighting this battle and inside you are being torn up. Because guilt and shame will plague you all of your life and it's horrible when it does. And if just this battlefield is everything, well, you don't know where you're aiming. So you might not know the Bible very well, and you might not be actually aiming in the right place. So you think you're bringing the kingdom of God, but you're not actually doing it. It's a pretty tragic thing that happens. And then the last one, Christ as an example, or at what we're aiming at, to love God and love others as Christ did. Well, here's what happens here. These people will say, um, Christ on the cross. This is what love is. And when you see it, when you actually see him crucified for you, you say, look at this love. I, I want him now. I didn't want him before, and now I do. This is great. This is true. And then you say, I need to be like him. And so you seek to be like him, but here's the problem that you run into. And this is, the, this is one of the biggest problems that we have in our culture today. We say, God is love, and my religion is the religion of love. But... You've got guilt, and you want to pretend like God is only love and he's not justice. And so what happens is your guilt and your shame are destroying you. And the pro- here's the problem with Jesus. He's perfect. So if your aim is to be like him, you will fail every single day at that aim. And if you don't know that you've been forgiven in the courtroom, eventually Jesus becomes very bad news to you. Because he crushes you under the weight of his perfection. And at some point, all you want is to get out from underneath him because he's too weighty. He's too perfect for you. You just want to run from him. So all of these create problems. But if you hold them all together, we have a good tension going. So now we go into the courtroom. All right, are you ready for this? So here's our point. Here's our next point. Sacrifice and substitution. Hebrews 9.26 He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin 
by the sacrifice of himself. You go into the courtroom. There must be death in that courtroom. There's a demand that a penalty is paid for sin. And that justice is either coming down on you or your hero substitute who steps in your place to be sacrificed instead of you. It's one or the other. You have to pick one. It's either you or him. In 1 John 4.10, it says, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. All right. To be a propitiation for our sins mean, means, are you ready for this? He stepped in your place, and when he did, he took all of your sin, and the wrath of God the Father in heaven was thrown down upon him like a thunderbolt. This is where those who advocate for the battlefield or Christ is victorious or Christ is our aim, they have a really big problem with this because they don't like thinking about God being wrathful. The problem that they have with this that they're going to run into is that the Bible very clearly says that God is wrathful towards all sin. And all sin must be dealt with. So Christ steps in as our victor, yes, but also our substitute. And he's crushed in our place. And here's what you find. Don't minimize his wrath because if you do, you minimize his love. Because what happens is the cross is about both love and justice. And if you want to know the heights of his love, you have to see the heights of his justice. Because the higher the justice is, the higher the love must go to deal with justice if he steps in your place. So don't minimize the wrath of God. Don't minimize his justice. Put it as high as it can go, and then you'll see him step in your place, and you'll be in awe of the love that he has for you. Now, some will want to argue, well, the cross is just there to show us that he loves us. So we might be won over by him and want him. And it does do that. But here's the problem. It doesn't deal with your guilt and shame if he is only showing you what love is and making you want him. So the question is, why did he have to die in your place? I once heard somebody uh, that was a leader of a church, someone came up to them and said, why did, Jesus, why did it have to be Jesus who died? And they said, I don't know. And I'm thinking to myself, how do you not know that? This is, one of the, this is the key question. So make sure you know this. The reason that he had to die... Is because of both his love and his justice. Love drives him to you. His justice drives him to the cross. The two must be held in tension. And when they are, when they're held in tension, then the love and the justice of God meet with a kiss of grace and peace for you. For justice to be satisfied, something must be punished with sin. Sin. Something has to be punished because of sin. All right, so if you just see his death as an example of love, here's the three, and and I'm telling you our culture loves this. He's love. He is love. He is love. And it's true. But he's more than just love. And if you only see him as love and not just, here's what happens. 
you lose heaven. Because heaven is a place not only of perfect love, but perfect justice. If you take away the justice of God that is executed on the cross, here's what you have. You have a grandfather in the sky who just simply forgives you because he can just forgive you. The problem, justice was never executed, so that means you enter into heaven as an unjust person, and because you are unjust in heaven, now a curse is laid into heaven. The same thing that happened on the earth. Because of sin, there's a curse. You bring sin or injustice into heaven, then a curse takes place all over again. So you lose heaven if you take away the justice of God. Second, if you take away the justice of God, you have throbbing guilt and shame all of your life. Because you never get that courtroom experience where you see that God has satisfied in Christ his wrath for your sin. And so your guilt and shame follow you all the places you go. And I don't care how many counselors tell you, you're a good person. Just know that. And know that everything's okay because you're trying hard to be good. Just have some value and dignity to yourself. I don't care how many counselors tell you that. Guilt and shame will plague you all of your life until you see it dealt with in the courtroom. I promise you. Third, third problem, if God is only love and not justice, is that the idea of justice, well, you love justice until it's pointed at you. So yes, we want God to be loving towards us, always. Just forgive us, God. Grandfather in the sky, show us that you were forgiven. But as soon as someone does something wrong to you, or someone does something wrong to your kids, oh, you're ready for justice to come raining down. Justice is coming at all of us. We either have Christ step into our place or coming down upon us. And if it comes down upon him, we're free. See, here's here's the problem. We compare ourselves to others. You compare to a murderer, you look great. Well done. But compared to God, it's like you are like maybe 10 marks better than a murderer. But compared to God... He's infinitely more holy than you. So you need a substitute to bear the wrath, to bear the justice that's coming down upon us. So what happens there at the cross? It's the wrath of God being satisfied. And it is the greatest display of love and the greatest display of justice and the most tragic result of sin there has ever been, the death of God. It's both terrible and wonderful all at the same time. And if you see Jesus just as the victorious king, well, here's the problem that you have. You can go out on that battlefield and want to have strength and might, but guess what? You don't have... The same way Adam and Eve hid from God because of their sin, you will always do the same, which means you never get access to his strength and his might. Unless we see this next point, reconciliation. The, the legal... Results of sin are separation from God, alienation from God, the loss of God in whom we live and move and have our being. That means without God, you don't know who you are or what you are and what you're supposed to do with your life. 
You need him, but you can't get to him. You can't have access to him because of your sin. But because of the courtroom, you now have every right to enter into the presence of God and be in a relationship with him. And then you get to have the strength and power and might of God. You have to be reconciled. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 18. Through Christ, we are rec- God has reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Your faith in Christ's death gives you the right in every way to walk right into the presence of God and be with him. That's where your strength comes from. So don't try to skip the courtroom. See, here's the point to all this. There is an order. And this is why there's a really strong case to be made that the central part of the atonement is what happens in the courtroom. Because you've got to get to the courtroom first in order then to get out into freedom. So, the great problem of this world, the great problem of your life, is not that you're not successful. It's not that you can't find peace. It's not that you can't find joy. It's not that you can't find love. It's not that you can't find contentment or the good life. The great problem is that you can't find God and you can't get to him and you don't have access to him. But from the courtroom, you then have access to him. And then all of those things of love, joy, and peace and the good life get added to you. So here's the problem that many of you are, the mistake many of you are probably making. You have at your heights... The thing you're chasing is the good life, contentment, peace, love, joy, happiness. That's your goal. And by making those things your goal, you lose them. But if you will make God your goal, all those things will be added to you. You can't have joy, peace, and love without having God. Not at its heights. Not as it's been meant to be experienced. So we need Him to go into the, enter into the courtroom, deal with our sins so that we can then be in a relationship with God. And I want to tell you this about you. You are a relational creature. No matter how introverted you say you are, you like people to some degree. You need to be with people to some degree. You want to be with people to some degree. You experience something and you want to share that with others. You want to share it with them and you want to tell them all about it. You, have a, you drink a beer, you have a cup of coffee, you have a meal, you want to do that with your friends. Now, let me tell you something that happens here. When you invite God into this relationship with your friends to enjoy this beer or this cup of coffee or this meal, it brings you up to the heights of heaven because you're doing that with God and with your friends. So, take reconciliation out of the picture. Take God out of the picture. You go drink a beer. There's a part of you that's drinking that beer because you want to escape from this world because this world's hard and life is hard. And then here's what happens. That beer, instead of you consuming it, it begins to consume you. But if God is in that relationship with you and your friends and you're having this beer, you can enjoy it the way it ought to be enjoyed. It doesn't consume you anymore. Same thing with a cup of coffee. 
Some of you had too much coffee today. You could see it. Some of you didn't have enough. Or a meal. Same thing with a meal. Food. The, the point of all this is that when you bring God into relationship with you and you look out at all the things of the earth that are meant to be enjoyed, if you don't do that with God, eventually those things begin to own you. But if you do that with God, you enjoy those things even more and they bring you up to the heights of heaven. You're actually getting a glimmer of heaven here on the earth. God is always that friend that makes time better and everything you're enjoying better. You know, you take four friends, you get them together. They're able to pull out from each other their personalities, more so than if one person's there with a friend. So you take more people, each person's able to pull out a part of that person's personality. When God is with you, he's pulling the best out of you. And when he's in a group of your friends with you, it's bringing your friendships to the heights of heaven. God is always, friendships, relationships are always best enjoyed with God. Same thing with your marriages. If you build your marriage on a foundation of God's love, it changes your marriage. If you don't, you will begin to view love the way the culture does, which is to say, love is a feeling. And if you make me feel good right now, let's go get married. But if that ever changes the way I feel about you, I'm gone. You're gone. But the foundation of God's love is about a covenant. It's to say, I am yours and you are mine, and I'm not going anywhere no matter what. You're going to change five times over the next 50 years, and I'm, I'm committed to be married to that same person who is you, though you change five different times no matter what. I'm not going anywhere. And you know what that, here's what that creates. It creates an environment where you can finally stop dating that person. There's a saying that says, oh, you should date your wife. No, do not date your wife. You know what you're doing when you're dating someone? You have your best behavior put forward. You know what marriage is about? Here's the real me. And here's who God wants me to be. So let's get there together. Don't date your wife. Marry your wife. And live like you're married. Like, hey, help me. Here's the worst of me, but here's what God wants me to be. Let's figure this out together. So the courtroom brings you into a relationship with God. And what happens is without that courtroom, you have a Christless Christianity, a godless world, and something that's always left lacking. Now, you get the courtroom, God does not want you to stay there. This is, we're going to weave now the courtroom and the battlefield. God wants you out of the courtroom. It says in Mark 10, 45, Christ came not to be served, but to serve and give his life for the ransom of many. The word ransom means that Christ has purchased you from sin and death. He's purchased you away from sin and death. He wants you to be free. And he wants your life to look like a grand adventure, whatever he has set before you. This journey out on the battlefield. It's an adventure, it's a battlefield. And he wants you to be free out there. He doesn't want sin to have hold of you anymore. He doesn't want it to have dominion over you or death. You're free from it. So get out on the battlefield. Get out of, out of that courtroom and live free. If you don't see how Christ freed you in the courtroom, then you're going to go out and you're going to be living your life 
you're going to think you're free, but you're actually a slave. Too often people chase freedom by running from God. What they don't understand is you will never find freedom without God. God is freedom. To have him is to have freedom. To have freedom without him is to be a slave. As much as you tell yourself you're free, you will not be free unless you have him. You have to see the courtroom. So I want to take you in there now. Here's the courtroom experience. Here's our last point. Inside of the courtroom, you find yourself having the greatest lawyer the world has ever known. And he's not great because he can bend the truth and make it look like you are innocent even though you're guilty. Here's the kind of lawyer he is. There's my client right there. He's guilty. She's guilty. He says, but I am volunteering my life in the place of theirs. And the father is the judge. And the father looks at the son, who's the lawyer, and says, gives him a nod. As if this is something that they had planned before the foundation of the earth. Because they did. Before they created you. Father, Son, and Spirit knew what was going to happen. The cross was always there. And so he stands in your place. And the Father says, Behold the Son of Man, the Son of God, who takes away the sins of the world. Takes away your sins. And you say, wait, 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 no, 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 no. This is me. I did this. And Jesus says, shh. Watch. This is love. This is justice. I'm going to do this for you, and I need you to see this. And I'm going to go away, but after I go away, I'm going to come back to you one day, and it's going to all make sense. And then a cross is brought into the courtroom, and he's thrown upon it. And as he's thrown upon it, all of your sin is thrown upon him. And in that moment, he feels the pain of sin, the wrath of God coming down upon him for all the things that you and I have done wrong. And you watch him. And he wants you to see him. And as you watch, bold in that courtroom, seeing what your Savior goes through, you begin to feel the guilt and the shame wash away. And then the Father, who is the judge, gets up. And he comes and he embraces you. And it's the hug that you've been searching for all of your life. You are reconciled to God. And he says, come on, let's go out of the courtroom. It's time to get out. It's time to go live and be free. And you say, no, 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 I don't want to leave my Savior. I don't want to leave him. And the Father says, look at the cross. He's gone. You say, where is he? He is risen. He's out in freedom. Come on, let's go meet him. This is love. And it is the realest of all loves because we know it is real love because it satisfies the high cost of justice. This is your God. Go and meet him in the courtroom. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you didn't leave us on our own to ourselves, but you have sought us into the far reaches of hell and there you died so that we might live 
paid a penalty that we could have only paid with death and hell. But you paid it and lived so that we could live. We thank you for that and we praise you for that. Help us to worship you in freedom from guilt and shame. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.